Um, it's Ken Ham, Ken Ham's Answers in Genesis. And um, he did a lot of research in this book. It's, it's called Already Gone. And um, I've had a couple of pastors actually ask about it. And what this book is about, there's a lot of statistics and a lot of um, data on how um, our kids are coming out of churches, coming out of church, not non-church. These are kids coming out of church, and a lot of them are no longer going to church. And the reason is, is because there's not just poles of the world and, and so much temptation out there today. There certainly is that that plays a role, but not getting the answers that they need in getting biblically grounded. Um, most pastors believe in evolution uh, and teach that with the children. And it begins to bring doubt into them, into the Word of God. And so we want to make sure that the children here that we have, whether we have them one week or we have them at Vacation Bible School or whether we have them for a long period of time, that they get grounded in the Word of God. And it, we have you know, heard statements from those who do those statistics that said, it's not that we're going to lose a generation. We've lost a generation because the church is not being effective in ministering to the children. And so when we read that, it breaks our hearts and it concerns us. So that's why we want to make it a priority. And we got a good curriculum that teaches the scriptures that you can learn. And so, you know, we try to rotate the teachers to where they're not in because I want teachers to be in here and also taking in the word of God as well. And so be praying for the children's ministry. Be praying for those little ones in the nursery. And I wanted to read, I asked Sue to bring this thank you note. I'm, I'm glad she brought it. And I'm reading this thank you note to, to press a point. I'm not trying to toot my horn or, you know, any of that. But I think this kind of sums up a little bit of what I'm saying. It's from somebody who graduated from high school who has gone to this church and, um, for a number of years. And she says, uh, thank you for your graduation uh, for coming to my graduation um, gathering and party. A few of my friends talked about inviting their pastors who didn't come. So it means a lot to me that not only my pastor, but also his whole family came to wish me well. They say that two-thirds of all Christian kids abandon their faith when they get to college. But with the strong foundation Calvary Chapel gave me, I will not be a part of that statistic. Thank you. And the reason I'm sharing that with you is because it's real. And I get the cards and I get the thank yous and the kids that are going off that are grounded in God's word. And, and that is um, what I was sharing with, you know, um, you know, my dear brother yesterday as we had lunch that, that um, the vision of Calvary Chapel is very simple. That you guys are the best fed, best loved sheep in Greeley. And I haven't failed as a pastor if I'm not the funniest or have the most programs I'm certainly not the best looking. I fail in that. If I don't tell the best stories, but I have failed if I'm not getting you grounded in the Word of God and teaching you through the Scriptures. There's a difference teaching from the Scriptures and teaching through the Scriptures. And as I've mentioned to you, that's the way to maturity. It's the way to grow in faith. And we're going to talk about this as we continue here in Numbers chapter 21. And... It is so needed today because the scriptures are being diminished and are being, um, the people being told it's not uh, important or um, there's just not a significant 
um, priority in learning the Word of God in many churches today. Not all churches. I'm not saying that we have the corner on ministry or teaching the Word of God. But it needs to be important. And I did not start Calvary Chapel 13 years ago in my home because Greeley needed another church. I started Calvary Chapel because I wanted to bring verse-by-verse teaching to this area. And in the last 12 years, we've gone through all 66 books of the Bible, and we're going to continue to do that. Guys, I'm going to be real honest with you. I'm not interested in purpose-driven. I'm not interested in seeker-friendly. I'm not interested in the emergent church stuff. I'm not interested in the programs and, and the entertainment and all that. What I am interested in is getting you grounded in the Word of God. Because I believe that as we get closer to the return of the Lord, which I don't think is that far away, that I think it's going to get more difficult and it's going to get harder to stand in faith. And the scripture says that in the last days there is going to be a falling away from the truth. That in the last days there's going to be a departure from the truth and there's going to be a false church that's going to be standing that's going to be a worldwide false church. And I think we're seeing the foundations of that. And so we want to do everything that we can to be grounded in God's Word, and it's going to help you in the days in which we are living. You know, I was talking with my kids as we were sitting out in the backyard watching the lightning storms the other day. Spectacular, I believe it was on Monday or Tuesday night. And as we were watching that from our our backyard, and we have a, a, a nice view, you know, we were talking about how interesting it would have been to live back in these days, like in the book of Numbers. Um... The sea, the, the things that took place, and the parting of the Red Sea. And I was talking to them, but, you know, when you go through those books, they went through some very difficult times, didn't they? We're going to see that even tonight. And we can think that it would have been great to see the, the, the miracles of the Old Testament and, you know, David slew Goliath and, and all those other things that, that we read about, the stories of the Old Testament. And it would have been neat to see that, but you know what? I really believe this. That as you look at the timeline of history from the beginning clear up until the return of the Lord, I think we're living in the most interesting times. Because I believe that this is a generation can very well could see the return of the Lord. And that we're living in the last days. And I understand that as we go through the Old Testament, sometimes it's hard to swallow, just as we're going to see as we begin to read chapter 21. The difficulties, the wars, the things that go on. But there's a message here from Genesis to Revelation. Is that what sin did? That it brought depravity and death and discouragement and hopelessness to this world. And Jesus Christ is the one that has brought us hope. He's brought us truth. And we see the consequences of sin and we see the consequences of a fallen world that is spelled out to us very, very clearly as we go through the scriptures. But you know what? There is a time coming yet that Jesus said that there will be such great tribulations such as the world has never seen. And there are perhaps, I don't know when that's going to be, but I do know the pieces of the puzzle prophecy are being put together. And I see the condition of the world, and I see the concerns of the world, and and it does concern us. And the Bible says it's not going to get brighter and better, but it's going to come a time where there's going to be great tribulation. And so may we be ones that we are the watchmen on the wall, as Ezekiel was told, blowing the trumpet, giving truth to people, getting our kids grounded in the Word of God. And as I've said to you over and over again, and I continue to say that if we are not grounded, you're going to get deceived in the days in which we're living. And you're going to get pulled, and you're going to get tugged in other directions, and you're going to end up being discouraged in the world 
that just seems to get bark, darker and more immoral and, um, and, and more crazy every day that we're living. So back to my original point. Can we be praying for the kids and be praying for us here at Calvary Chapel? We have opportunity to expand radio programs. You guys invite people here. Get them grounded in the Word of God. And there are plenty of people that we know that they wonder about truth and they know that there's a lot of voices out there. And so let's not just go through the motions and we can get real comfortable and I don't want to do that. I want us to be able to, you know what, there are people out there that are lost and they're discouraged and there are children out there that, that we need to be able to minister to that are right here in, in our ministry Kids that are coming and, and praying, you know what, I pray that I don't go to, you know, that I go to purgatory and I get out, and it's like, how sad. They don't know that there's a God that created them, truly, that they didn't evolve and has a plan for them and loves them. And that he desires to bless them and to grow them into young men and women that he wants them to be. And that there is true hope for them and joy and peace. And that's for all of us and their families. And so let's pray for the families that are here. And let's pray for these children. Let's pray for those young people that are up there. And so that's why I'm pressing this point a little bit. And I know that you know. I know that you know. But let's really take it to heart. And let's really say, you know what, let's do. Let's be serious about praying for the families here and praying for these kids. I do not understand. You ask any pastor what's the most difficult ministry to get people to help, and they will say, easily, it's children's ministry and nursery. And it ought not to be. It really ought not to be. And I'm not saying this to put a guilt trip and try to manipulate it all, because not everybody's called to teach children's ministry. I understand that. You need to flow in the area where God's gifted you and what he's put on your heart. But what we all can do is we can pray that God will raise up people to help with that and to help minister. And like I said, I am so thankful for those who have dedicated themselves year after year in ministering to children and love those children. But I just have a feeling that there are some that are out there that the Lord's tugging on your heart. And if he is and he's calling you, give me a call. Let me know. And let's minister to these children and make sure that they are fed the word of God and they are loved as well. So, Father, we do ask that. We ask that right now, as now as we just settle into your word, that you would just bless this time as we study chapter 21 of Numbers. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Numbers chapter 21, the king of Arad and the Canaanite who dwelt in the south heard that Israel was coming on the road to Atharim. And then he fought against Israel and took some of them prisoners. So Israel made a vow to the Lord and said, If you will indeed deliver this people into my hands, then I will utterly destroy their cities. And the Lord listened to the voice of Israel and delivered up the Canaanites, and they utterly destroyed them in their cities. So the name of that place was called Hormah. And so as we open up chapter 21, you recall that we ended the previous chapter, that the children of Israel, they're starting to make their way up into the border of the promised land. The book of Numbers covers a span about 40 years. That was not quite 40 years. They were out in the wilderness for a totality of 40 years before they would go into the promised land. But it began with that census of the children of Israel coming out of Egypt. And of course, as we've seen and discussed quite extensively, that the reason that they didn't go into the promised land right away is because of their disobedience and because of the sin of unbelief. 
They said that, you know what, there's giants in the land as they discovered that the Amalekites were there. They discovered the Canaanites were all around. They discovered the inhabitants were all over the place. And they said that we are going to get devoured in the promised land. They said our young are going to die in the promised land. Why did you bring us out here? And so the Lord said that because of your continual disobedience and because of the sin of unbelief, that this generation, the one that I've given a promise to, that I'm going to give you the land, and I gave a promise that, that you're going to inherit that land that I promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and that I'm going to drive out the inhabitants and defeat those giants. You're going to die out here in the wilderness. So this wilderness here has been in one big graveyard, corpse all over, people are dying, and now this new generation is going to go in. And this new generation of the children of Israel are starting to make their way up from the, the wilderness up to the north to the mountains of the Amor- Amorites and to the Moabites and the Edomites. And there's a major road that went up through that way because geographically it connected Africa and Asia and Europe. And so travelers and caravans would travel on what was called the King's Highway. So the children of Israel wanted to travel, as we saw as we ended chapter 20, on the king's highway, and they said to the king of Edom that, you know what, we won't go to the left, we won't go to the right, we won't eat your vineyards, we won't drink your water, we won't take of your cattle, we're just going to go straight through and stay on the king's highway. So the king of Edom came out and said, you cannot pass through or we're going to go to war. So because the children of Israel were actually brothers to the Edomites, of course, remember, that when Isaac had his twin sons, Jacob and Esau, that Esau, the descendants, were the Edomites. And, of course, the covenant would go through Jacob and his 12 sons. So they weren't going to go to war against the Edomites. And as you look at a map of that area, as they begin to make their way, they're on the east side of the Jordan River. There's that area to the south. It's what's the southern part of Jordan today. It's, it's just south and directly east of the Dead Sea, And we know on the east side there of the Jordan River in what is today called Jordan, that's where the Edomites would dwell. They dwelt in that area that uh, where Petra, that rock city, many people go. We got some pictures out in the coffee shop of Petra out there. As you go north, there's the Moabites. When you go to Jerusalem today, Jerusalem stands above the Jordan Valley where the Dead Sea is. And, uh, and one of the uh, near villages and towns of Jerusalem, of course, really a suburb today, is Bethlehem. And you can stand in Bethlehem and you can see the Dead Sea if it's clear enough. And then you can see the hills of Moab. So that's where Ruth came. She was a Moabite, remember? So that was the land of Moab over there on the east side of the Jordan. So you had the Edomites, you had the Moabites, and the Amorites. And so here they are. They're going to have to go around here um, and, and make their way into the promised land. But here the Canaanites who dwelt in the south, they heard that the Israel was coming on that road there. And um, so they came out to do war. And so what the children of Israel do is something that we haven't seen a whole lot, and that is they begin to seek the Lord. And as they were seeking the Lord here, they go to war, and they said that, Lord, if we do go to war, we'll destroy those cities. And the Lord heard their voices, and he would give them victory, and they called that place Homa, which means destruction. And so um, there's some very important lessons for you and for me in this. And that is, I pray that as we journey down the King's Highway, that we would continue to just go forward. But you know what? Here's the thing that we need to understand. The king of the Moabites, we're going to see the king of the, Am- 
um, you know, the king of the Amorites, the, the, the king of Bashan is going to come against them. And we need to understand this, that in our journey into the promised land, and we've learned this, that the Lord has brought us out of Egypt, hasn't he? And Egypt is representative of the world. And listen, folks, the Lord did not save us so we can stay in the wilderness. He saved us so we can go into the promised land. In a promised land, that land flowing with milk and honey, again, let's define what that is. Jesus came along and said, I came to give you life and life abundantly. And it's a life of blessing. And it's a life of joy. And it's a life of strength. And it's a life of, of living victorious in the Lord and receiving what he has for us. You see, there are those that will come along and say, well, see, Jesus wants you to have life and life abundantly, and it's name it and claim it and nab it and grab it, and it means a new car, a new house, and all of this. I'm not saying that the Lord can't bless you materially, but the spiritual blessings is what's being spoken of. And there are many Christians that end up in the wilderness in a, a life, a Christian life, of just barrenness and hot and, um, and it's hard and it's difficult and they're discouraged and they're down because of two things. Number one, they're not believing the promises of the Lord. And Jesus went to Calvary's cross to prove his love for you and for me. And if we can trust him with our salvation, we can trust him with the promises that he's given to us in our lives now. And the Lord desires for us to live that life to where joy is filling our hearts, even in those times that it becomes difficult. And in our journey in life, know that the enemy is going to come against you. He's going to come against me, isn't he? Just as they had difficult times, the enemies came out against them. We're going to see that very clearly. Not only the king of, of, of Arad, the Canaanite, but we're going to see the, the Amorites and also King Og is going to come out of Bashan, defeat them. And one of the things that I have learned that we see even in the pages of Scripture, because what we're going to see with Moses in the book of Deuteronomy is Moses is going to come to the end of his life and the Lord's going to say, Moses, I got one more battle for you to fight and then I'm going to take you home to be with your brethren. And one of the things that I'm beginning to understand is it's going to be a battle. All the days of my life that I'm here. In other words, the enemy is always going to come against me. And the enemy is always going to desire to bring us to a point where we're discouraged and we remain out in the wilderness and we're not believing in God's promises. And he brings doubt and discouragement. He tries to keep us captive. He tries to get us to go back to Egypt just as they were crying to go back to the world, the ways of the world, the old hangouts, the old ways. He'll do anything that he can. Here's the thing that we need to remember about the enemy, Satan, is as Paul said in 2 Corinthians, don't be ignorant of Satan's devices. He hates us. He's going to do everything he can as long as we are alive and, and, and moving forward in the Lord and on the king's highway to come against us and discourage us and say, you can't go into the promised land. He's going to remind you of your defeats and your shortcomings and your sin because he's the accuser of the brethren who accuses us day and night, Revelation chapter 12 says. And we need to understand that they, Satan doesn't wake up one day and say, you know what, I think I'm going to give you or Pastor Jeff or Calvary Chapel a break today because I feel nice today. He's not going to remind you of the blessings that you have in the Lord. He's not going to remind you of the promises that you can stand on. He's not going to encourage you. He's going to discourage you and try to defeat you and bring depression to you and hold you in bondage to sin and deceive you and, and try to get you 
to be enamored with something else, do anything that he can. And so it's going to be battle after battle. We need to understand that. But listen, we have God's promises. We have ultimate victory because Jesus Christ died on the cross. And as Colossians chapter 2 says, that the enemy has been defeated and stripped because of Jesus' death on Calvary's cross, washing us of our sins, washing out the handwriting of requirement, as Colossians chapter 2 says. And I pray for every single one of us that the way that we move into the promised land is, first of all, is that we stand in the promises that God has given to you and to me. And in those times that it's difficult, and, and listen, here they are, you know, they're doing battle, and the way to victory is to be a men and women of prayer and men and women of the word. And so they have victory. They've done something finally. They're trusting the Lord. You know what, Lord, we're crying out to you. And you give us victory, and the Lord did. And whatever it is that you face, that as you stand on the word of God in his promises, and as you cry out to the Lord, know that he's there with you. He'll never leave you or forsake you. And he promises to work all things out for good for those who love him, who are called according to his purposes, Romans chapter 8. And that he desires for you to grow in faith, as we saw in Hebrews chapter 6, remember? That the Lord sees your work, and His word is true, and He will bring it to pass. He'll bring those promises through faith and patience to pass in your own life, just as it was with Abraham, as the writer of Hebrews goes back and talks about Abraham, how Abraham received that promise in Genesis chapter 12, that you're going to be a great nation, Abraham, your descendants. And Abraham had to wait 25 years to see that promise come to pass. So here they are, they're going through and they, they make this vow and the Lord gives them victory, but then all of a sudden something happens, verse 4. And they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom, and the soul of the people became very discouraged on the way. Now remember that in the previous chapter that the king of Moab, or the king of Edom, that is, came and said that you guys can't pass through the land. And so since the Lord obviously is telling them, that you guys, that you're not going to go war against them. They had to go around. So we're going to see that actually, as we continue on this chapter, they're going to have to go around to almost where they're going into that area, which is Iraq today, and then go up north and then come back down. And so here it is. It's hot. They've been out there 40 years. There's 3 million people out there. It's not easy, and the people are getting discouraged here. And so, verse 5, the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness for there's no food and no water and our soul loathes this worthless bread <laughs> one of the things that I know to be true in our own lives and I've seen it in my own life that in those times that you feel like that I'm going the long way around Lord to where you want to take me and you're tired and you're discouraged and and you're thinking, Lord, do you see me? Lord, are you there? Lord, are you going to provide? Is We can begin to complain, can't we? We begin to get discouraged. We begin to become sluggish. And that can happen very easily with us. So we need to be careful when that happens. And here the children of Israel, 
this generation goes back to doing what they, their fathers did, and that's they complain. But here knows in verse 5 that they spoke against God and against Moses. It's a little bit different. Before they would complain against Moses, they brought their complaint against Moses. This is the eighth murmuring that we've seen in the book of Numbers. And each time it's a complaint against Moses, which was actually complaining against God. But here they're openly speaking against God. It says they complain against God and also against Moses. And so as they're complaining, once again, complaining against God's provision. We're in this wilderness. We're going to die out here in this wilderness. And there's no food. There's no water. This worthless bread. Now one of the things they didn't reach that point of, and that was saying that we can't go into the promised land. They didn't get to that point that their fathers did. We can't go into the promised land. We're going to get gobbled up and we need to go back to Egypt. They're complaining against God's provision. That was serious enough. And God's going to respond very seriously to them because he knows that if they continue in this, that there's going to be another generation that's going to die out there in that wilderness. And so what we're going to see is a story that we're very familiar with. He's going to send fiery serpents into the camp to begin to bite them. But I want to encourage you in something. That the Lord in our lives, as we are making our journey to the promised land, that he desires for us to walk by faith and not just by sight. And there is going to be in the promised land as they go, even as we continue here, before they get into the promised land, there's going to be more battles than what they did against the Canaanites here. And there's going to be battle after battle. There's going to be challenge after challenge. They needed to learn to walk by faith, not by sight, and not to get discouraged and complain and to begin to have that hardness of heart, which led to a sin of unbelief. Listen, folks, when it seems like this has taken a whole lot of time to get where I believe the Lord wants me to get, if he is doing a work where he's taking you around somewhere, it's not a waste of time if you're in God's will, okay? This wasn't a waste of time for them. And God's going to get them into the promised land, and he's going to be faithful to them. And it can be difficult for us, but God is preparing us and working us to get where he wants us to go. But I'll tell you what, maturity comes by being men and women of prayer, men and women of the word. Again, there's no shortcut. We have seen that as the writer of Hebrews on Sunday morning in chapters 5 and 6 would address those Hebrew believers and saying, listen, I'm addressing your spiritual immaturity because you're continuing the milk of the word and you're not taking in the meat of the word, which is for those who are of full age. And if we want to grow in spiritual maturity, then what we need to do is continue in taking in the word. If we want to grow in faith, faith comes by hearing and hearing what? By the word of God, Romans chapter 10. So I don't see any other shortcut. And so we're going to see some very important principles in standing on the promises of God. To stand on the promises of God, you've got to know the promises of God, right? And you've got to know the heart of God, and that's what Scripture does. It gives us the heart of God, but he wants us to, to grow and to be strong. And, and as we are, it's not in our own strength, but the strength of the Lord is we're trusting in him. And he does those lessons of faith and patience that are worked out in our lives very practically. And you see, he doesn't want us to get to where he, we need to be without those lessons of faith and patience and trusting him. So we see that they begin to complain once again in verse 6. So the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and many of the people of Israel died. 
And therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And then the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent, set it on a pole, and it shall be that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and put it on a pole, and so it was that a serpent had bitten anyone. When he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. We know, many of you, as you're familiar with this story, that this is a story as these, these, um, these serpents came in. The people, they um, are getting bit by these fiery serpents. Some suggest that they were red in color. Others have suggested that their bite would be like a burning sensation, but it was a deadly serpent that was coming in, all these serpents. And, and again, they knew that they had sinned. They quickly repent. They confess and humble themselves. And, and they say, Moses, pray for us. And so Moses prays, and God tells Moses, what you are to do is you are to take a bronze serpent, put it on a pole, and put it in the middle of a camp, and whoever looks on that bronze serpent that has been bitten by a snake shall be saved. And so it's a beautiful picture, isn't it, of what Jesus Christ did for you and for me. As all of us that are here have been bitten by the snake of sin, and so because sin is coming to the world, the wages of sin is death. But as Jesus has been lifted up on Calvary's cross, as we look to him and put our faith and trust in him and surrender our lives to him, we are saved. That's what it's a beautiful picture of. And Jesus himself said that this Numbers chapter 21, this story is a picture of him going to the cross. You recall the story in John chapter 3. That it was Nicodemus, the religious leader of Israel, that came to Jesus and said, we know that you come from God because you couldn't do the things that you do unless God were with you. And it was Jesus that said to him, Nicodemus, you must be born again. You see, in John chapter 3, there's three must. And the first one is, you must be born again. And Nicodemus, who was the master teacher of Israel, this brilliant scholar, this man who dedicated his life to teaching the people the law of God. And he says, what do you mean you must be born again? Can a man enter into his mother's womb a second time? And Jesus said, Nicodemus, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the spirit is spirit. So don't marvel that I say to you that you must be born again. So that's the first must for you and for me. We must be born again if we want to see the kingdom of God. So we're ending our hearts to Jesus Christ. The third must, later on in the chapter, is you recall that it was John the Baptist, his disciples, were very concerned because all the people were leaving John the Baptist out there at the river by himself. You recall John the Baptist being a forerunner to Jesus. He's out there in the wilderness, as you read in the Gospels. There at the Jordan River, and he's baptizing the people. It says all of Israel came out to see him. But then Jesus, as he came, was baptized. He would go out into the wilderness, was tempted of Satan 40 days. He would go up in the Galilee region, and his public ministry would begin. And the multitudes would go from there up to the Galilee region, where we read over and over again in the Gospels, great multitudes were following Jesus. So that meant they all left John out there at the river by himself in that desert. And so in John chapter 3, the disciples of John were saying, hey, aren't you concerned about this? And John said, why am I concerned about this? He must increase, I must decrease. This third must in the chapter. And it's true for you and for me. One of the ways that we can experience that abundant life, that promised land in our lives, that is Jesus saying, I come to give you life and life abundantly. To really experience that, that victory, victorious Christian life, that mature Christian life, that life of joy and peace is that he increases and you decrease. 
And that's what Jesus meant when he said that you deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow after me. And I'll speak for myself. I know one of the ways that I can become real discouraged and down and bummed out all the time is when I focus on me. When I focus on me all day long. Because I'm so aware of my shortcomings and my frailties and my inadequacies. And, and if I just continue to focus on myself, I don't walk around like Eeyore and Winnie the Pooh going, oh, poor me. I'm not talking about that. But he is the increase in my life. And he's the focus and the center and everything in my heart. And he saved me. And he's forgiven me. And for him to use somebody like me absolutely amazes me. And I know it is him. And you guys sitting out there know that it's him. To use somebody like me. And he gets the glory. And we praise him and we look to him. I don't want to exalt myself. I want to die to self. And it's a lifelong lesson. But it's true what John said, that he must increase and I must decrease. But the second must. First, you must be born again. The third one, he must increase, I must decrease. The second must, Nicodemus, just as Moses lifted up that serpent in the wilderness, so I must be lifted up. And Nicodemus, the master teacher of Israel, would think back to Numbers chapter 21, these words that we just read, thinking, what is he talking about? As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so he must be lifted up. But I believe and I know that Nicodemus would get it. Because who is at the cross taking down the body of Jesus? Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. And Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, both of the council, did not give to the consent of the beating of Jesus. They stood by. This gospel said they were secret disciples till they saw what Jesus did for them. And I imagine that Nicodemus there, watching Jesus die on that cross, that he said, I understand. I get it. Just as Moses lifted up that serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up on the cross at Calvary. And as he is shedding his blood, he is saving me from sin that is in my life. What a radical thing that happened to Nicodemus, a man who had taught about righteousness and the law and the sacrifices of the animals and all that, and he understood that Jesus is dying for me. And that's why Paul the Apostle, who was also a Pharisee of Pharisees, after his conversion, as he went about preaching the gospel, he said, I boast in nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. So this is a beautiful picture of Jesus dying for you and for me. And so verse 10, now the children of Israel moved on and camped in Oboth. And they journeyed from Oboth and camped camped in Ijah, a barum, in the wilderness which is east of Moab towards the sunrise. And from there they moved and camped in the valley as a red. And from there they moved and camped on the other side of Anon, which is in the wilderness that extends from the border of the Amorites. For the Anon is the border of Moab between Moab and the Amorites. And so again, here they're moving eastward. They're supposed to be going northwards towards the promised land, the border there, but they're having to go around. Again, I've been in that area of southern Jordan. And it is hot and it is dusty and barren and it's not nice country. 
and they're discouraged and they're going around and they're going up around so they don't go around uh, the Moabites and they're coming down into the area of the Amorites. And so verse 14, therefore it said in the book of wars of the Lord, we don't have the book of wars. If you're wondering, I don't remember a book of wars in the Bible because it's not in the Bible. So this is an ancient manuscript that, of course, is lost, and we don't have it today, but they will record uh, different events and battles that took place, obviously, in their wilderness journey in the, in the Book of the Wars. And Weheb of Safar and the brooks of Anon, and the slopes of the brooks that reaches to the dwelling of Ar and lies on the border of Moab. From there they went to Beer, which is the well there the Lord said to Moses, Gather the people together, and I will give them water. Verse 17. Then Israel sang this song, Spring up a well, all of you sing to it. The well the leaders sank, dug by the nation's nobles, by the lawgiver with their staves. And from the wilderness they went to Matana, and from Matana to Nealiel, and from Nealiel to Bamoth, and from Bamoth in the valley that is in the country of Moab to the top of Pishgah, which looks down on the wasteland. So this journey is they're making their way, continuing to make their way to the promised land. But verse 17, notice here, as they went and on their journey, that the Lord gave them water to drink. And notice this time they worshiped the Lord, don't they? Remember the last chapter? They were complaining, we want water, we're thirsty. And Moses took his rod and he struck the rock twice. And water came forth. And, and the Lord said, Moses, because you misrepresented me, because you took the glory from me, as Moses said, must we fetch water from you? It wasn't Moses that gave them water. It was the Lord that gave them water. And, and so it went from complaining to now worshiping the Lord. But a key for you to enter into that victorious life, a, land, a life flowing with milk and honey, the promised land, whatever you want to call it, is this. You are men and women of prayer. You're men and women of the Word. And you're men and women that are being continually filled with the Spirit. You see, I need God's help in my life. And it was Jesus that stood up there at the temple in Jerusalem on the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles. And the Feast of Tabernacles would remember the wilderness wandering, how the children of Israel slept underneath the stars. And so they would live out in their little tents and lean-tos and booths. They called it the Feast of Booths. And remember how God provided water, provided manna, brought them into the Promised Land. It was like a week-long camp out. And Jesus stood up at that time and he said, If any of you thirst, let him come to me and drink. And out of your belly will flow torrents of living water, speaking of the Holy Spirit. And I need to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. We see in the book of Acts, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. Lord, just fill me with your love and, and with the Holy Spirit. And empower me to live a life after you. Because, yes, we make choices of, Lord, I'm going to walk after you. But we can't do it in the flesh. We need the help of God in our lives. Working and empowering us in our lives. Being filled with the Spirit of God. And that's what's going to help you in that victorious life. It is necessary. So here they're taken into the water. And may you be ones that, Lord, just fill me. The Holy Spirit dwells in us, but fill me continually with your spirit, Lord, enabling me, strengthening me, encouraging me. And as you do, you be one that is a worshiper as well. As they're praising God, and I'll tell you what, we're going to talk about this in Hebrews chapter 9. 
We're going to talk about the tabernacle that's there. And we're going to talk about how the Lord desires for us to move through the tabernacle from the outer court into the holy place that is of service and to the presence of the Lord, which is a deeper and richer place. But out there in where the sacrifices took place, where the offerings took place, some of those offerings were offerings for sin and trespass offering, but other offerings were of what? A little preview for Sunday of worship. A real key, if you really want to serve the Lord in longevity, you'd be a worshiper. That as you're worshiping, Lord, what you've done for me and sacrificing your life for me, that here's my burnt offering, my free will offering, uh, offering of worship, then you can move into the tabernacle where service took place. And then a deeper, richer place behind the veil. And that's what's going to get you to that victorious life, these principles here of men and women of prayer, standing on the Word of God, being men and women continually filled with the Holy Spirit, men and women desiring to walk after the Spirit. The Lord just wants to fill you with His love and to be men and women of, that worship and are thankful to Him for what He has done for you. Well, we see that then Israel, verse 21, sent messengers to Shihon, king of the Amorites, saying, Let me pass through your land. We will not turn aside into the fields or vineyards. We will not drink water from the wells. We will go by the king's highway until we have passed through your territory. But Shihon would not allow Israel to pass through his territory, so Shihon gathered all his people together and went out against Israel in the wilderness, and he came to Jahaz and fought against Israel. Then Israel defeated him with the edge of the sword and took possession of his land from Anon to Jabbok, as far as the people of Ammon, for the border of the people of Ammon was fortified. So Israel took all these cities, and Israel dealt with the cities of the Amorites in Heshbon and in its villages, for Heshbon was the city of Shihon, king of the Amorites, who fought against the former king of Moab and taken all the land from his hand as far as Anon. Therefore those who speak in Proverbs say, in verse 27, Come to Heshbon. Let it be built. Let the city of Shihon be repaired. So fire went out from Heshbon, a flame from the city of Shihon. It's consumed Ar of Moab, the lords of the heights of the Arnan. Woe to you, Moab. You have perished, O people of Shamash. He has given his sons as fugitives and his daughters into captivity to Shihon, king of the Amorites. But we have shot at them. Heshbon has perished as far as Daban, and then had laid waste as far as Nophah, which reaches to Medeba. And thus Israel dwelt in the land of the Amorites. Then Moses spied out Jezer, and they took his villages and drove out the Amorites who were there. So here they make their way to the promised land again. And here they are as they are passing through. And they have the king of um, uh, the Amorites come out and they go to war. And they end up defeating the king of the Amorites. As we finish the chapter, verse 33, so they turned up. Went up by the way of Bashan. So all king of Bashan went out against them. He and all his people the battle at Edrei. And the Lord said to Moses, Do not fear him, for I have delivered him into your hand with all his people in his land. And you shall do to him as you did to Shihon, king of the Amorites, who dwelt in Heshbon. So they defeated him, his sons, and all his people. There was no survivals left him, and they took possession of his land. So they end up defeating other on the east side of the Jordan River, uh, the king of the Amorites, Shihon, King Og of Bashan, 
And a couple points I want to make, and then we're going to wrap it up here. But I think they're important points. Number one, we're going to see that it is actually on this east side that they defeat the Amorites and they defeat um, also uh, Bashan. And also we're going to see that the Moabites, the king of Moabites, is going to come up with an interesting strategy to come against the children of Israel in chapters 22 through 25. We're going to see the prophecies of Balaam. Interesting story, one of the most interesting characters of all of the Bible. He's mentioned Balaam in eight books of the Bible. Do you know that? Very intriguing individual. But the children of Israel are actually going to take part of that as their possession. The tribe of Gab and half of the tribe of Manasseh are going to be on that side in this defeat here. But I want to draw attention to one verse here as they're making their way and all these names that are mentioned here. But in verse 24, Then Israel defeated him with the edge of the sword and took possession of his land from Arnon to the Jabbok. Does it ring a bell with you? The brook Jabbok. Genesis chapter 32. How do we get to the promised land? We know that the enemy is going to come against us. We know that there's going to be challenge after challenge. God wants us to walk by faith and not by sight. Be men and women of prayer. Be men and women of the word of God standing on his promises. You be men and women being filled with the spirit of God, depending upon him, walking in the spirit, as Galatians says, and you won't fulfill the desires of your flesh. Being men and women of worship, being thankful for the Lord. But there's one other thing that you need to understand before you go into the promised land. Genesis chapter 32 in the brook Jabbok. You remember the story of Jacob. Jacob was a man that was very resourceful. He was one that was tricky. His name means heel snatcher. His name means deceiver. Jacob was a very capable individual. He was the kind of guy that any Wall Street firm would love to have on, you know, working for them. He, he was just that kind of guy. Business guy, very successful, real motivated in all of this. And so, of course, he was the one that would get the birthright from Esau for a pot of stew. Pretty good deal. He was also the one that tricked his father into giving him the blessing, and so Esau was going to kill him, so he took off 400 miles to Pandanaran. And there, of course, he spent 20 years there where we have the stories as you go through the book of Genesis of him marrying Leah. He was tricked. He met his match in his uncle Laban who tricked him, and so he ended up marrying Rachel and working and God blessed him and he had many herds and animals and stuff and then there was tension between Jacob who had four wives actually he had all these sons and children and he had all these herds and Laban was getting jealous and upset because his herds were diminishing and so Jacob said I gotta go I gotta go back home so it was his uncle Laban that made a covenant with him Jacob you don't come back if you do I'm gonna kill you so Jacob is going forward. He comes, and he's heading back to Canaan, and he got word that his brother Esau, that was determined to kill him, is coming at him with 400 men. So where does he stop? At the brook Jabbok. Not much of a brook today. I've been there. It's a little trickle. Maybe it was more back then. He sends his family away, and all of a sudden he's alone. He can't go forward because his brother's coming with 400 men. He can't go back because Uncle Laban's going to kill me. He can't do anything. So he's there all alone at the brook. And all of a sudden, somebody sneaks up on him and begins to wrestle with him. 
And as they wrestle all night long, we know that it was the Lord that was wrestling with Jacob. And maybe some of you are here tonight, you've been wrestling. You've been wrestling with the Lord. You've been wrestling with different things. And the Lord's wrestling with Jacob, and Jacob is going, as the Lord, first of all, says, well, Jacob says, I won't let you go till you bless me. They're wrestling all night long, and Hosea says that when Jacob said that, he said that with tears and weeping. Don't pick up, you know, picture Jacob with Jesus in a headlock, you know, saying, I'm not going to let you go till oh, you bless me, you know. It wasn't that way. He, he's, he's clinging to the Lord, saying with tears and weeping, as the prophet Hosea says, I'm not going to let you go. I've been conniving and sneaky and lying and coming up with my own plans and all of this, and I'm tired of it. And he was in a place where he was alone and he couldn't go forward, he couldn't go backwards. And I'm going to cling to you, Lord. And that's what I pray that all of you do. To wherever you find yourself, maybe you find yourself where you feel alone. And you feel like you've been wrestling. That you cling to the Lord. And the Lord said, what's your name? It wasn't that the Lord didn't know who he was wrestling with. But you see, Jacob had to say, Jacob. Jacob. Heel snatcher. Deceiver. That's what I am. The Lord said, you're now going to be called Israel. Governed by God. And he would touch the hip of Jacob and it came out of socket. That had to be painful. And Jacob would walk with a cane after that. But you see, for us to go into the promised land and have that very victorious life, oftentimes, folks, here's the thing. Brokenness is going to be a part of that. And he's going to break you of all the things that are unlike him. And he's going to break you and me of being resourceful and just depending on ourselves and always coming up with their own schemes to the point where he says, I want you now to be Israel, governed by me in every single area of your life. And to rely on me. And just as Jacob had to lean on that cane, we are to lean on the Lord as we continue to walk, because Jacob's walk was never the same. And brokenness will be a part of that, folks. And as we journey down the king's highway in this life, the enemy comes against us, but there's victory in Jesus Christ. There's discouragement that comes, but there's victory in Jesus Christ. As we go through this life, there's difficulties and trials, and there's losses, and there's sorrow. But what the Lord desires to give us is joy and peace and strength and direction and provision and His love and His strength to bring glory to Him and to be a testimony to others. When they see what God is doing in your life, even through the brokenness, that comes because God is there and you're walking with him now and leaning on him and you're Israel depending on him because we see in the book of Joshua when they go into the promised land, it's Rahab, the harlot, 
She goes, I know that God has given you this land to the spies because you defeated the king of the Amorites. You defeated Shihon, you defeated Og. And God's got to be with you. And through the battles that you go through, and God gives you victory. And through the brokenness, and through the standing on his promises, as they see God's strength, it's going to be a testimony to them. And Rahab, we're going to see in a few weeks in chapter 11 of Hebrews, listed in the Hall of Faith. Because of the wonderful testimony of God's working in their lives. And so, Father, we thank you that, Lord, that we have that testimony in our lives as we just walk with you and as we just trust in you. And, Lord, I pray that tonight as we just spend a few minutes in worshiping, that, 